1: Dear leftists and leftist institutions, it is not hard to be anti-terrorist. It is not hard to condemn Hamas. It is not hard to condemn protesters, students, and entire student organizations that are pro-terrorist and pro-Hamas. Sincerely, Decent Humans. The show starts now. Folks, it's already happening, just as many of us predicted it would. On Saturday, Sunday, and even Monday, much of the world, shockingly, even the members of the squad, condemned the savage attack on Israel and the hundreds who were slaughtered, kidnapped, and brutalized. But now that Israel has responded, and rightfully so, the narrative has shifted as expected. Yeah, the Hamas squad, as they shall heretofore be referred to as, well, they've shown their true colors. First, you have a comment? Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads? You have nothing to say about Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads? Do you condone what Hamas has done, chopping off babies' heads, burning children alive, raping women in the street? Despicable, but not surprising. That aside, something I envy about Israel and the Israeli leaders. They don't F around. When they say they're going to level you, they're going to level you. And if you don't want to be leveled, you shouldn't attack, you shouldn't kidnap, rape, slaughter, and brutalize the Israeli people. Israel has declared war, and this is what war looks like. It's not pretty. Civilians die. That's the sick and sad reality of war and the collateral damage that comes with it. Nobody, exception terrorists, relishes the thought of innocents being killed, whether they be Jewish, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, what have you. But it's certainly worth noting the kind of animals Israel is dealing with. In fact, calling them animals is an insult to animals. The kind of people who are willing to execute the elderly live on Facebook. The kind of people who are willing to behead babies. The kind of people who are willing to kidnap, rape, and parade around the bodies of young women. The kind of people who use their own people as Human shields and place their weapons and their resources in civilian areas on purpose. These are not people and these are not militants either. These are Islamic terrorists who will and did happily kill innocent people in the name of their religion. And they will not stop until they are exterminated. You don't deal with terrorists through diplomacy or peace treaties or ceasefires, you deal with terrorists by eradicating them. It's also important to note here that Palestinians elected Hamas to represent them in 2005 and over the weekend Hamas carried out the most egregious act of mass murder against Jews since the Holocaust. Yet some Democrats just cannot bring themselves to condemn it. Like this fella here, Denver State Representative Tim Hernandez. And I think it's despicable what they're protesting for
0: and what you're protesting for and the fact that you can't condemn women and children and elderly people being murdered in the streets. What about it? Do you condemn it? I already said. Why can't you say yes?
2: Because I already gave you my answer.
0: You didn't give an answer.
1: Can't say it, won't say it, and why? You know, I'm not the first to say this, but it's worth me reiterating. If Hamas stopped attacking Israel, there would be peace. If Israel stopped defending itself, it would cease to exist. Clear distinction there. Joining me now with his personal and expert analysis is Israeli political strategist, Philippe Bazeline. Philippe, it's been a long time since I've had the pleasure of talking to you. I wish it was under different circumstances, but I know that you've been experiencing a lot of this firsthand. So let me know what this weekend and this week has been like for you thus far.
0: So, t- Tommy, it's nice to see you after a long time again. You see, I've aged. Maybe most of it happened this weekend. Um, I've just made it out of the country. I didn't want my kids to be around that. I was thinking about their mental health. I was there until yesterday. I think it's probably one of the worst massacres in Jewish history that we went through, um, not Israeli history of Jewish history. It is beyond what I can describe to see those images of people being butchered for hours like if it were a sport. Imagine like the Sandy Hook shooting, but 30 times on and on and on, and then being people being taken from their families to Gaza. It just fills you with dread and at one point it's numbness, it's terror. And you have to add to that the constant wailing of sirens of rockets. Two years ago, I thought rockets were the scariest thing. My, my nine-year-old son, who still believed in Santa at the time, was in the bunker as we heard loud booms. And he was shaking, crying, and telling me, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And it was a really hard moment. This time dwarfs that. It, it's It's just complete fear, a feeling that the country can't really... Uh, always have everybody's back. And the fact that you're dealing with absolute evil, even the Nazis hid what they did. These guys raping children on purpose, raping children on purpose, filming it, and then putting it out there because they're proud. Now, I just want to say one last thing. This was extremely carefully planned. It cost a ton of money. Iran was involved. It had zero strategic value, it brought nothing to the Palestinians. They put endless effort and intelligence into planning a mass slaughter that brings nothing to them, nothing except the joy of killing.
1: Philippe, I know that you're obviously an expert on all of this, and I want to lean into that expertise because there's a lot of Americans who see this happening. They remember it happening some years ago. I mean, this has been a continuous cycle of violence. It's never really ended. It's just gotten hot and then cooled down. But I want you to to help me give my audience a lesson here into the history and into the policy that's gone on between Israel, the Palestinian people, Hamas, because there's a lot of people that are uneducated that don't understand. There's a lot of people that are running with the narrative that the Palestinian people live in an open air prison and that the Israelis torment and terrorize them and have been for some years. Please give my audience an understanding of how this has gone on in the last several years and where we are now.
0: Thanks. So that's an amazing question. Thank you. I'll start with the last part. Why do people think Israel's the bad guy, essentially? Uh, like the 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 politician we just saw who refused to condemn something that, you know, would you not condemn zombies attacking so like it's 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 crazy to even hesitate. So I'll start with the end. There is a very strong concerted propaganda campaign to exploit. I can only call it the, to exploit the natural kindness of American people. American people are naturally kind, they have compassion. And there's been a campaign that projects what these people did onto Israel. You kill children, you attack them. Now, these people attacked a music festival, right? They gunned down for hours hundreds of, of people. It could have been like the Stagecoach Festival or Coachella. And yet the propaganda has been exploiting very carefully the feelings of Westerners to cast Israelis as the bad guys, so they have moral cover to do this. Why? This takes me back to the first part of your question. The Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, used to control the Middle East, essentially, until 1920. After World War I, it was dismantled, and that area was split into states. The area that is now Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, and Jordan, was supposed to be, by international law, a Jewish state. Not enough Jews were there or showed up. And a big influx of Arab population came to compound itself to the native population of Muslims, Arabs, Christians, a mix. And for whatever reasons, mismanagement, animosity, nationalism, they started fighting. And the proposal was to split that area into two states after lopping off most of it and creating Jordan. But whatever area stayed in the Holy Land, okay, let's call it that, was supposed to be two states. The Jews accepted, the Arabs rejected, and they attacked. And since then, there's been efforts all the time to attack and destroy Israel, openly. This is not my opinion. It's been the stated position. Now, obviously, Israel made tremendous mistakes, uh, could have dealt better with many situations, but fundamentally, there's a rejection of Israel's existence until very recently. There might be a peace deal now with Saudi Arabia that would kind of tip the scales. In 1967, there was another war where the Arab states attacked. Or we're going to attack, and Israel took over territories called the West Bank, Judean Samaria in biblical terms, and Gaza and other areas. And the population there started identifying as Palestinian in 1967, mostly. Before that, it was a mix of Jordanian, Egyptian. Uh, there was an identity that wasn't so much coalesced around the area. It was pan-Arab. I'm trying not to make this too complicated, but the, the Palestinian population really started to forge an identity separate from the Arab world at that time. And that's when terrorism started with Yasser Arafat and the PLO, which is now the Palestinian Authority, uh, mostly. Uh, Egypt was supporting it. And since then, there's been waves and waves of terrorist attacks, Israeli retaliation, attempts at peace accords. And in 1993, they started to give Palestinian areas independence. But instead of bringing peace, it made the violence worse. You used to have riots with stone throwing and stabbings. Now you have, then you had buses blowing up. Machine gun attacks, now you have rockets, now you have these massacres. It's an unimaginable scale, like a 1,000 people murdered uh, in a day or two. That's essentially the history. It's super sad because it's a great land on an individual basis. I, I appreciate the Arabs in Israel and Palestinians I've met tremendously. But something happens on the collective where there is such a hatred that, like in Gaza, they're willing to invest so many resources just to kill instead of building. And that's something that's extremely sad when you have children growing up there. and. My research is into how to make people communicate so they won't fight. So for me, like it's, it's even more depressing.
1: Do you see there ever being peace in this region? And I, I ask that because we know that the propaganda campaign, the indoctrination from birth, to death for a lot of these people is the same. They hate America, they hate Israel, they hate the Jewish people, they hate anybody who is not Muslim. So I ask you that because there's been a lot of discussion about brokering a peace deal, or could there possibly be a, a Palestinian state that was independent that could thrive on its own? Would this ever stop? Or would there be a constant effort by Hamas by Iran, by other Muslim fundamentalist countries that would like to see Israel eradicated, would this is this something that's going to be ongoing for eternity?
0: I, I hope not. I'm a bit optimistic, and I'll tell you why. Even though it's extremely hard these days, I, I do polling, I do research and an uh, opinion, and I can I can show you how people's opinion, even in the Middle East, can be influenced by pressing the right button, so that they favor more peace than other uh avenues like war that said the political culture in the middle east in the arab world is very very brutal and it's going to take a long road it's going to be a long road before there is more of a individualist liberal kind of mindset still if you look at the middle east the countries are becoming more moderate than they were five ten years ago that's the result of isis when people see too much violence and they suffer that's when they tend to learn so, it's not going to be fixed anytime soon. People were celebrating in the streets. You see what you're showing that, that protest, I think it was in, in Montreal or somewhere in Canada. It's it's despicable that people would, would celebrate what happened. It's like celebrating uh, the KKK, or about 100 times worse. Uh, there's still a huge problem. There will be violence. Israel now feels it has to deal a severe blow to Gaza. It's going to cause more rancor, but I don't think there's any other thing you can do when your country is, is, is attacked like that and your civilians slaughtered. I think there's hope in the very long term. I think we can hope for fewer all-out wars like this, but for the short term, it's going to be very hard, and it's going to take a long time to deprogram a lot of these of these minds. And and what's happening is that on the Israeli side, when they see this, it makes people angry and hard. So whatever flexibility there was on the Israeli side is gone now, because you know they're waking up to like, this is stupid. We're, we're getting killed. We're getting slaughtered. Fences are not going to do the job. So short-term, I'm pessimistic, long-term, I have to be optimistic because I have kids, I have little kids.
1: The Palestinian people, do they want to be represented by Hamas? Are they too brainwashed to know the difference? I mean, there is a discussion here to be had about, of course, the civilians who are collateral damage, the civilians that are used as human shields. But is the indoctrination so strong in these people that they look to Hamas as their savior, as their leadership? What is the mentality of a lot of the Palestinians that you know, a lot of the Palestinians that you've studied?
0: So. It varies. Palestinians have diverse origins. They have diverse mindsets. Unfortunately, there's been traditionally a lot of people who support the extremists. Like you mentioned, Hamas won an election, but it won an election in 2007. Um, so, um, you're showing scenes of guests, the Jews. It kind of goes against what I'm saying, but th- there is there is there is a diversity of opinion there. There are moderates. There are a lot of people who suffer and hate Hamas. They're not allowed to speak. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who do like Hamas. And Hamas is a Palestinian movement. Um, and they're going to need to sort out also what they want for themselves. Uh, but it's thankfully not everybody, no, it's not everybody, unfortunately, it's too many people that support Hamas and have opinions like what we're seeing, the awful things that are being said in uh, in Australia, of all places. Um, I think the indoctrination can be contained. I think there are moderate Palestinians, maybe events like this will shame the Palestinians enough for the moderate voices to be more assertive. I think what the world needs to do now is shame the Palestinians for what happened, even though this does not represent all the Palestinians. This represents Hamas, which is one group, uh, the Gaza Strip, not the West Bank. And even there, there must be opposition. But we need to shame the the people who can have an influence on Hamas. This does not bring them honor like they think, it brings them shame.
1: It's just hard to see that when you see so many that are calling these people martyrs, Uh, of course. You know We've seen the language, we've seen the videos, we see the protests going on here in the United States, really around the world, discussing a lot of people that don't really know what they're protesting for, a lot of just ignorance, Uh, a lot of American celebrities who want to back Israel, but they can't, they feel as though they cannot, they still hide behind this notion of free Palestine. So
0: so I want to talk about that. That's a super important point. You've always been one of the only people to raise this. This propaganda campaign, I saw it on campuses. I've studied it. There is an effort to exploit the hardships that American youth in particular go through on college campuses. Social anxiety, financial anxiety. It's very hard to be a young person now. Gen Z is just, you know, imagine what they went through. I grew up in in Gen X. Everything was easy um, or much easier. And this campaign exploits it. And if you end up supporting Israel, you're isolated on campus. You're shamed online. You're silenced like what they do with conservatives, but worse sometimes. Uh, and celebrities get threatened. So there's a bullying mentality that comes on the one end. On the other hand, you have these idiots who are in Australia, and instead of enjoying their life, celebrate the death of other people. And it's like Twitter, the Twitter effect, where a few people cause such a loud noise that that's all that's seen. And Jews and pro Israel kids on campus are scared. And I see it in the polling I do, like very recently how the personal dimension of what these kids and young people are going through affects what political opinions they adopt. They're basically forced by bullying, by pressure, by compassion abuse, to adopt extreme positions. Now, none of this is to say the Palestinians don't have a lot of grievances that are legitimate, that Israel doesn't make, I think Israel makes tremendous mistakes, and if you'd spoken to me two weeks ago, we would have been talking about what I think Netanyahu does wrong. But to turn that into hatred, into support for murder, is is the result of bullying on campuses, at least in the United States and in the West. In Gaza, it's a bit different. It's it's like you said, indoctrination. But again, there are voices on the other side. Uh, There are Palestinian voices on the other side. They're they're not loud enough. They need to be protected. And and this kind of stuff needs to be shamed. To have pity now for the Palestinian cause in, in a way that doesn't exclude Hamas now is the worst thing you could do. right? You have to empower the people who are against them, even even if they're the minority. I don't know if they're the minority. I think they're the minority uh, in some cases. They were the minority in polling. I don't think the majority support this, but I don't know. But whoever is against this in the Palestinian people needs to be empowered, and this needs to be shamed.
1: Last question I have for you, kind of going along with that, I'm gonna talk about it in my commentary at the end of the show. But something, you spend a lot of time on college campuses and you've studied this. So what I am so confused by is this. On college campuses, and especially with Gen Zers even, um, they have a real affinity for LGBTQ plus culture. Uh, That is their battle cry and has been their battle cry predominantly for the last five years. That has been their cause. Now we're seeing some of those same people who are part of this LGBTQ movement, also part of the Free Palestine, pro-Hamas, pro-terror movement. Philippe, do they not understand what Hamas does to the LGBTQ community? Do they not understand the doctrine? Because to me, it's stupidity. But I'm not sure if there's something else to that. Maybe you could help educate them.
0: Somebody wrote on the Internet, it's like cows for McDonald's, (laughs) cows cows cheering on McDonald's. Um, I don't know if they understand, but emotion will always trump reason. The woke movement, the intersectionality movement in the United States captures the, the attention, the minds and the hearts of young people who feel excluded, who don't feel they have what it takes maybe to achieve the American dream at a time where it's very, very hard to achieve it. And they're attracted to movements that posit, like, some powerful force as the reason for everybody's problems. Right? It's the capitalists, it's the white man, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the businesses. And in some cases, you know, there's some of that needs to be addressed. But these movements have been hijacked for a long time now. But especially in recent years, by Islamists who have used it to turn Jews into the bad guy for everybody. Right? So they'll go to Mexican students, students of Mexican origin say, oh, you guys have to go, uh, you have to deal with the fence uh, and being excluded from the United States. We deal with the fence, right? Completely obliterating the context. Uh, They'll speak to to black Americans who have suffered through racism and they say, oh, you're suffering racism. We suffered racism. They'll compare themselves to the Native Americans. They will exploit everybody's grievances, these propaganda campaigns, which often are not even led by Palestinians, by the way. Uh, they're just campaigns of people who want to create hatred for Israel. They will hijack these movements and turn Jews in Israel into the bad guy. And so when you're LGBTQ, LGBTQ, you might feel you're not included in society. You might feel uh, oppressed in a certain sense. And it's very appealing to feel the solidarity. And if the price is to turn a blind eye to some logic and blame Israel, it's very it could be very satisfying to feel that solidarity. And that's what they exploit. That's what I mean by compassion abuse.
1: It's really something. Well, Philippe, I appreciate you taking so much time. I know that it has been a week from hell for you. We're praying for you, your family, your safety. Thank you so much for giving us so much context and analysis. I always appreciate it from you. And please be safe.
0: Thank you for having me. And and I'm safe now because I got out with people that are really going through a hard time. So whatever support you can give them, it really makes a difference. Absolutely. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Philippe. On September 11th, the Biden administration gifted Iran, the world's foremost state sponsor of terror, with six billion dollars. Almost exactly one month later, Iran finances Hamas's brutal attack on Israel. Now the White House has maintained that that six billion wasn't used by Iran to fund this Hamas attack on Israel, and maintains that Iran hasn't accessed that funding yet. Well then, here's a wild idea. Rescind the freaking money. But does Biden regret giving money to Iran?
2: Look, we've said since the beginning that Iran is complicit in this attack in a broad sense because they have provided the lion's share of the funding for the military wing of Hamas. They have provided training. They have provided capabilities. They have provided support. And they have had engagement and contact with Hamas over years and years. And all of that has played a role in contributing to what we have seen. Does the administration regret making the prisoner swap with Iran in light of these attacks? The United States does not regret bringing home American citizens who have been unjustly detained abroad. As I said before, the president has no higher priority than to get Americans home.
1: But speaking of money, did you know that since 1950, U.S. taxpayers have sent over $6.3 billion through the United Nations to subsidize Palestinian refugees living in Gaza, the West Bank, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon? That was until President Donald Trump cut the Palestinian aid to zero in 2018. Of course, Biden resumed the funding in April of 2021. And wouldn't you know it, just weeks later, rockets were again aimed at Israel. And now here we are. Joining me now to help us follow the money is Open the Book CEO and founder, Adam Anjiefsky. So great to see you. Such an important conversation. You know, when we booked you on this show last week, we just wanted to talk about all the money being spent on furniture, but now we've got a whole other dimension to all this. So I really want to dig into this Palestine aid and uh, what your what your revelations on that are for the people who are really curious as to how much money we've sent and what that money has been used for.
2: So the U.S. taxpayer, through their generosity, Tommy, has been funding Palestinian aid for over 71 years until 2018 when Donald Trump cut it to zero. He said, hey, very reasonably, I'm not going to give them subsidy. I'm not going to give them aid if they're not going to come to the table and negotiate a peace deal he thought that they were not serious about peace so he cut their aid that had not been tried in the 71 history 71 year old history to that point of palestinian aid
1: so yeah again and i'm he took a lot of flack that of course we know that joe biden as i mentioned and as you have studied uh he obviously resumed that aid so how has that impacted everything that we're seeing now i mean can we be sure that that aid hasn't been used for terrorism against israel i'm sure not
2: well we can't be sure let's use the state department's quote from just a couple of years ago anthony blinken was asked about this and blinken said that no, he said. Uh, look, we do our best. We work through our partners. We work through the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the United Nations, and even through the nation of Egypt to try to get the aid to the people who have real needs. He says, but we can't be sure. We can't guarantee it. That's a de facto admission that we that we that uh, we just don't know if our U.S. taxpayer dollars was used by Hamas. To restock their weaponry. Look, Tommy, uh, Joe Biden, when he restarted the aid, the the Palestinian aid in 2001, he started it in April. Since then, we've poured in over $1 billion through the UN into Palestinian aid, and we can't even guarantee its effectiveness.
1: Yeah, and then there's also the discussion, especially this week, about that $6 billion that. The Biden administration gifted to Iran on September 11th, which they swear up and down was not used to attack Israel. Whether it was that $6 billion or they were counting on that $6 billion so they could use other money to attack Israel through Hamas, uh, it all adds up to the same thing. When you're aiding and abetting terrorism, uh, you have to be honest about that. I don't think a lot of Americans, although with the scenes in the streets lately i would hope americans would not be for that but let's also talk about some of the gear the u.s military gear last time we talked to you about this it's even more important now how much u.s military gear was supplied to afghanistan in a 20-year period
2: so it was 82.9 billion dollars of u.s military gear and training supplied to the afghan national army and the afghan national security forces so if you break that number down It was 600,000 weapons, and that includes 350,000 M4 and M16 rifles, 65,000 machine guns. You got 25,000 grenade launchers. Look, everyone is saying that the Taliban, they're not a sophisticated army. They're not a sophisticated soldier, but they know how to use and monetize that kind of weaponry. We turned the Taliban into a major U.S. arms dealer for the next decade, and they've been selling tickets to their terrorist gun show for the last two years. To the extent that these rifles, this weaponry, are now in the hands of the Hamas, you know, Biden needs to be further held accountable for his hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan.
1: And then we've got Ukraine we can throw into the mix as well. I mean, it's almost impossible to trace where Hamas and terrorists have gotten the, their weaponry, but I think it's safe to say that a lot of it is probably from the United States of America, either directly or indirectly, given we are seem to be incompetent with our bookkeeping and our housekeeping when it comes to Afghanistan, when it comes to Ukraine. I mean, name a country we've supplied things to, it usually ends up being used against us. So that's a concern of, of a lot of the American people is that we are indirect funding terrorists and it might not be over what can you tell us about you know future uh, i guess future allowances that we're making to terrorists and what that spending looks like
2: so every single dollar of us foreign aid for instance that goes to subsidize uh, goes to subsidize palestinian aid needs to be on the table immediately with the biden administration uh, you've got the plo they have a history of providing the gruesome policy of public pensions for uh their their martyrs their terrorists they provide those pensions to their families it the wall street journal called this practice pay for slay it's a gruesome practice and it's one reason trump was right to cut funding to the aid to to the palestinian refugees
1: and there's just so much more waste to go around in, in our government. And this is a shocking total that Open the Books was so great to put out there. It stunned a lot of people, as it should. $3.3 billion spent on furniture when people were mostly working from home. What can you tell us about that?
2: Absolutely, Tommy. I mean, if you think government spends your money better than you do, <laughs> this just proves the case, right? During the pandemic years, when there was an order to, you know, work from home, the telework policy, public federal employees were paid to stay home. And their agencies loaded up a billion dollars a year, $3.3 billion during the three pandemic years of 2020, 2021, and 2022 on furniture. You got the State Department paying a quarter million dollars for solar-powered picnic tables. I'm sorry, that was the CDC, Centers for Disease Control. You got the State Department. They pay $120,000 for expensive brand new Ethan Allen leather recliners for their embassy in Islamabad, Pakistan.
1: That's wild. And meanwhile, Americans are struggling. You know- Obviously, the news has shifted so much, but just last week we were talking about a government shutdown and what that would look like and not being able to fund the government. What's your initial thoughts on that? Would that have been such a a bad thing if the government shut down for a while? And, And how much spending needs to be reined in so we aren't constantly getting these headlines from Open the Books about our money being spent poorly on furniture and leather recliners?
2: You know, Mark Twain probably said it best, Tommy. He said that when the legislature is in session... My life, liberty, and property are not safe. Typically, I don't have a problem with Congress uh, not being in session, that's for sure. Uh, right now, we've got real problems in the world, and we got to get a 2024 federal budget passed. And, and there needs to be limits and hard caps. And right now, the Democrats want no spending limits and no caps. And far too often, Republicans join Democrats to drain the U.S. Treasury from the left. Republicans need to get serious and i got a great example of this on earmarks these are pork barrel spending projects requested by leg- by members of congress to bring pork back to their districts and republicans have gone hog wild in the house in the in the spending bills being debated here this fall republicans represent the top 63 largest earmarkers in the house you don't even hit a democrat to the 64th one and in the senate eight out of the top 10 markers are republicans so republicans they need to get serious they need to you know get back to being true fiscal conservatives and stop talking out of both sides of their mouth
1: Yeah, that's really frustrating. A lot of Republicans go to Washington, D.C. talking about cutting spending, and then it gets away from them. Just imagine how that works and all this money being spent. Meanwhile, the American people are being taxed to death. We're paying for it through inflation at the grocery store. We're paying for it at the gas pump. Americans should be furious about this. In all of your investigations that open the books, is there one single area, I know there are many, but is there one single area where you see the most waste by the federal government?
2: Yeah, I mean, we, we put the whole concept and database of the third party paid royalties to the scientists and leaders and agency over at the National Institutes of Health on the table a couple of years ago. And we're seeing real movement in the opening to that database. I mean, during the pandemic, Tommy, you and I and the American people started to feel that big government was very close to big pharma. That database shows just how close they are with all the different conflicts of interest. So we're going to see a lot of breaking stories from our team at OpenTheBooks.com on that database and all the insider trading and conflicts of interest that are in that database as we expose all of the connections.
1: Oh, I can't wait for that one. Uh, I promise this is my last question for you, but you brought something up that I think is really important. You know, I've seen a lot of discussion on on Twitter, of course, on social media. Of course, Americans want to stand with Israel, back Israel. We've also still propping up Ukraine. But there's a lot of discussion as to our members of Congress and, and how much involvement the United States is going to have. And speaking of conflicts of interest, is Open the Books digging into at all which members of Congress, which representatives are due to make a lot of money if, in fact, the military-industrial complex really revs up again? Have you studied that? And what should the American people be paying attention to?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we have to follow the money. And one of the things that we do very well at OpenTheBooks.com is we take different data sets and we mash them up And those audits make national news. I mean, that's a great idea to see, you know, the defense industry. Who are they funding? Which members of Congress? Which U.S. senators? And then what kind of legislation and what bills and what votes and what policies are those members advocating to the American people? We haven't done that report, but that's certainly a great idea, Tommy.
1: Oh, please do. Uh, We would love to see it. I think it's so important. I remember during COVID wondering which of our representatives were making money off of COVID. And so I think we definitely, as we're edging closer to U.S. involvement, maybe boots on the ground at some point, we really need to know who's benefiting from the blood of the American people. That's concerning. I also want to thank you before I let you go. I recently did commentary on Open the Books' investigation into gender spectrum That was fantastic reporting by you, Uh, opened my eyes to it, and we really dug in there. So thank you so much for everything that you guys do at Open the Books.
2: And here's the follow-up to that story. That nonprofit actually wrapped up business. They sent out an email to their email subscribers saying that they're done. This was a nonprofit funded by a California state grant through the Newsom administration, Governor Gavin Newsom, that basically was teaching kids in schools to invent their own gender. Thank you, Tommy, for covering that story. It was important.
1: Thank you so much for all the investigations that you've done on it. You know, small wins along the way uh, turn into big victories. So thank you, guys. And we'll talk to you very soon to talk about more government waste, because I'm sure it's not ending anytime soon.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Tommy.
1: All right. Leave it to our government institutions to waste our money and leave it to your leftist, liberal, activist, academic institutions to allow for the open celebration of terrorism. Conservative speakers, a threat to democracy, pro-Hamas campus groups, free speech. Funny how that works. It's time for Final Thoughts. You don't have to be Jewish or pro-Israel to be anti-Hamas, but someone forgot to tell that to student activist groups and colleges and universities across the United States as they are actively, grossly, and transparently blaming Israel for the terror attacks carried out by Hamas against Israel. Here is a long list of those organizations, 31 to be exact, at Harvard alone, but it's not just Harvard. Student groups across the nation are advocating for this anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, pro-Hamas garbage. Pretty much picky Palestinian society on a college campus, and they've put out a statement referring to terrorists as martyrs and or blaming Israel. Some even go so far as to stamp their statements with paraglider graphics, alluding to the Hamas terrorists who flew into Israel by a paraglider to slaughter, brutalize, and terrorize innocent Israelis. And, right on brand, BLM Grassroots, as well as BLM Chicago, well, they've put out similar images. Not only are these people and these groups just wholly grotesque in nature and on the wrong side of history, they're also fully confused morons. Same with these Queers for Palestine activists. Who wants to tell these people what would happen to them in Palestine, or really any other Muslim fundamentalist society? You know, the ignorance is truly astounding, even by typical liberal standards. These campus and activist groups that coddle and make no apologies for radical Islamic terrorism are also known to simultaneously accuse conservatives of being anti-gay because we don't want gay porn in schools. Have they not read Islamic doctrine? If you think conservatives are homophobic for objecting to gay porn teachings in schools, wait till they hear how the religion of peace handles it. And speaking of double standards and overall social justice warrior idiocy, As someone who has been violently chased off a college campus, I just find it super rich that these blatantly pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist student organizations are allowed to form and assemble under the guise of free speech when conservative speakers like myself and countless others are told we are unwelcome on campuses due to our hate speech. Even more ironic when you consider speakers like myself and Riley Gaines are labeled as hateful for speaking out against the trans takeover of women's sports. Newsflash morons, they don't allow trans people to exist in these Muslim fundamentalist countries, let alone swim against women. If these brats think we the taxpayers are going to foot the bill for their student loan forgiveness when this is the way they operate and these are the things they protect, well, they've got another thing coming. And those are my final thoughts. Be sure to like and subscribe OutKick on YouTube from Nashville. God bless and take care.